Let's take a moment and fellowship one with another. Be sure to let our visitors know how glad we are to have them. Shaking hands, and while we finish up, get you a songbook. Turn on to page number 178. Oh, come all ye faithful. 178.
be seated. Amen. Let's let our ushers come forward to receive our offering this morning. And if you are visiting with us, let me welcome you to our services. What a joy and delight it is to have you. And we'd like for you, if you would, please, to take just a moment and fill out a visitor's card. If you were given a bulletin as you came in this morning, there's a little visitor reg registration inside the bulletin you can tear off. If not, there are visitor's cards located in the back of the pews. But if you would fill one of these out and drop an offering plate in just a moment, we would like to send you some information this week about the church. But we are certainly thrilled about you being here. Let me just remind you real quickly, tonight the choir will be doing a special program for us so you don't want to miss tonight. Always a blessing. We appreciate the choir, and you'll enjoy that tonight. And then after the service, we'll be having our Christmas fellowship next door. So that is always a good time. So you join us tonight. Don't forget these things and bring all the goodies and all those wonderful things that just make our fellowship great. Can I get an amen? <laughs> give him glory right there. Amen. Be here tonight, and you'll enjoy that. Let's pray now, and you give this morning. Father, we do thank you for all the good things you're doing. Our hearts are stirred today. Our hearts are warmed by the presence of the Lord that we feel in this place. Make real the name of Jesus. Bless the offering now and meet every need we have in Jesus' name. Amen.
He could have come in all his splendor Greater than the eye has ever seen He could have come in robes of scarlet And all the world would see that he is king He could have ridden on a white horse as a Redemption's price were paid, it would take A thrill of hope, a 
light of faith sincerely beaming with glowing hearts by his cradle to stand led by the light of faith sincerely beaming here came the wise men from Orient land A thrill of hope Our weary world rejoices For yonder breaks A new and glorious morn Oh, fall on your knees Oh, hear Let's open our Bibles to two places, Matthew chapter 1 and also the book of Isaiah chapter 1. If you will find those two passages, please, the book of Matthew chapter 1 and the book of Isaiah chapter 1. I want to connect two verses of Scripture this morning, and I want us to think on how to have a white Christmas. Matthew 1, Isaiah chapter 1. While you're finding your place there, let me just make mention, last night I had the privilege, me and Sherry and the boys, to go over to the uh, Stratford house, to the nursing home, Brother John Emrick, uh, here in the church. We have the ministry there. Brother John is so faithful, so faithful to that ministry. And uh, what a blessing it is and it was to be able to go there and, and to uh, minister over there. And I would encourage many of you that have gifts and abilities and music and different things to get involved in this ministry. And uh, Brother John had somebody going different every week and all the folks that we have. Uh, you wouldn't have to go but once every few weeks. But it'd be a real blessing. It'd be a real blessing to others. And it would help us all to realize that the Christian life is not just taking in, but it's giving out. And uh, using what you have for the glory of God in situations like that. And because uh, it may be one of these days uh, you'll be over there and you'll be wishing somebody would come sing to you. Amen. Amen. I just thought I'd throw that in there. Amen. Let's stand as we honor the reading of his word, the book of Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. Notice verse 21. And then I want you to look at one verse in the book of Isaiah. And that is Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 18. But I want you to notice verse 21 of the book of Matthew chapter 1. The scripture said, And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Mark your place. Turn to the book of Isaiah chapter 1. Notice verse 18. Isaiah 1 verse 18. The scripture said, Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Thank you. you. may be seated. Mark those two places. And I'm going to connect those two places today. And I want us to think about how to have a white Christmas. Let's pray. Our Father, we do come today to thank you for the night that you were born. We know that that night did not mark your beginning but it did mark your time on earth and the beginning of your time on earth when you became flesh and dwelt among us. And as we come during this particular time of the year, a time of the year that is set aside on our calendar that helps us to reflect and helps us to remember the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and when you became flesh that you might be one with us 
that you might be one for us. And so, Lord, as we come today, we thank you for this season, for what it represents. And I pray, Lord, that you'll speak to our hearts this morning and remind us of what Christmas is all about. Give us a word today that will encourage our hearts. Give us a word today that will bless our hearts. And I pray today that you'll give someone a word that will bring them to Jesus Christ. You know the need of every heart in this room, from those that could be here today that are unsaved to those who are saved. I pray today that you will speak to us and honor the name of Jesus Christ in everything that is said and done, and we'll give you praise and we'll give you honor and glory, for it is in Jesus' name we pray, amen. I've enjoyed the Christmas music this morning. I used to, I didn't enjoy Christmas music. I used to always hate when they'd start singing the Christmas songs and different things like that, especially in church, because I wanted the other songs. But I have grown through the years as I have got a little older. I didn't say old, as I've got a little older than what it used to be. I have grown to love the songs. And I think of all the songs that we sing at Christmas time, and there are a lot of songs that have become a part of our culture, and there's a lot of songs that become a part of our Christmas celebration. I think of a song that we often sing. I was spoken at the Deacon's Banquet a couple of weeks ago, and I shared this with them. But I think of a song that we often sing at Christmas entitled, The Twelve Days of Christmas. You hear that just about everywhere, but many people do not realize that the song originally was given as an allegory. It was originally given to teach certain biblical truths to young people. You see, there was a day in England when Christians were not able to practice their faith openly, so they had to find other ways to pass on their beliefs. And the song, The Twelve Days of Christmas, was one of the ways in which they attempted to pass on their beliefs. Again, it was given as an allegory. For example, you're familiar with the song. The song begins, On the first day of Christmas my true love gave to me. The true love in that song was intended to represent God, and the me was representing those that were Christians that had received the gifts of the Lord. The partridge in a pear tree was intended to represent Jesus Christ who died on a tree as a gift from God. The two turtle doves were the Old and the New Testaments, both of them considered a gift from God. The three French hens represented faith, hope, and love. The four calling birds spoke of the four gospels that tell the story of salvation and God's gift to man. The five golden rings spoke of the first five books of the Bible that laid the foundation of all truth. Six geese of land were intended to represent the six days of creation. Seven swans of swimming were intended to represent what they believed were the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit. Eight maids of milk and spoke, spoke of the eight beatitudes. Nine ladies dancing spoke of the nine fruits of the Spirit. Ten lords of leaping spoke of the Ten Commandments, and eleven pipers piping spoke of the eleven faithful disciples, and the twelve drummers drumming spoke of the twelve apostles. We sing that at Christmas, and many times when we sing it, we don't even realize that we're singing a song that in the very beginning had the message or intended to teach biblical truth. I am reminded this morning that many of the songs that we sing at Christmas are based in biblical truth. But there are a lot of songs that we sing at Christmas time that have nothing to do with Christmas, even though we call them Christmas songs. I think of that great hymn, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. <laughs> what does Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer have to do with Christmas? My boys taught me a version that was Randolph the Bow-Legged Cowboy that had a very shiny gun. That may not be politically correct, but it's a unique twist on it. But I think of such songs as Santa Claus is Coming to Town, Jingle Bells, and so on. We enjoy singing such songs, but they really have nothing to do with the real meaning of Christmas. I think of another very popular song during Christmas time. It's a song entitled, I'm Dreaming of a White Christmas. It is sung at Christmas parties. It is sung at family gatherings and so forth. And it's a Christmas song, but it doesn't have anything to do with the real meaning of Christmas. It is a song that expresses, among many things, the desire to see snow or to have snow at Christmas time. Now, I want you to say this morning, some of you may be dreaming of a white Christmas, but as for me, I hope it's 90 degrees in the shade. <laughs> the, only, the only people that dream of snow 
are the people that grew up in an area that did not have a lot of snow. I grew up in the mountains of North Carolina in a place where we had snow when nobody else had snow. I mean, the counties around us wouldn't have snow, but we would have four and five inches of snow. And when, I, when you grow up in a place where there's snow on the ground about four months of the year, you have no desire to see snow. To be very honest with you, I am not dreaming of a white Christmas. I'm dreaming of global warming. Can I get an amen right there? You can have snow all you want it. But if you're dreaming of a white Christmas, then I want to say to you this morning, I want to tell you how you can really have a white Christmas, whether it snows or not. In Matthew 1.21 in and in Isaiah 1.18, we find out how to really have a white Christmas. We read it a moment ago. Look at Matthew 1.21. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And Isaiah 1.18 said, Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. And though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Matthew 1.21 tells us what Christmas is all about. Christmas is about a Savior that came to this earth to save us from our sins. And Isaiah tells us that the only way anyone will ever really have a white Christmas is to know this Savior and to be saved from their sins. So I want us to connect these two verses this morning, and I want to point out three things that I see in these two verses, and I want to tell you how you can really have a white Christmas. Let me point these three things out. The first thing that I want to point out is, you see in these two verses the problem of every person. There is a problem that every person has. And Isaiah and Matthew describe the problem that every person has. It is the problem of sin. Now, I realize this morning that some folks don't want to be told they're a sinner. And some folks don't like to hear that they're a sinner. And many folks don't like to be reminded of their problem. But the truth of the matter is, every person has this sin problem. The Bible is very clear about the matter. Uh, Romans 3 and verse 10, the Bible said, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.23 tells us, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You see, the Bible is crystal clear in this matter. Every person has a problem. Every person has a sin problem. I was reading an article how back in the 1950s there was a psychologist by the name of Stanton Seminal and a psychiatrist by the name of Samuel Yokelson that shared the conventional wisdom of that day that crime is caused by the environment. And so they set out to prove their point. And they spent 17 years and thousands and thousands of hours clinical testing of 250 inmates in the District of Columbia. And to their astonishment, they discovered that the cause of crime cannot be traced to one's environment. They discovered that the cause of crime cannot be traced to poverty. They discovered that the cause of crime cannot be traced to oppression. They found instead that crime is the result of individuals making, as they put it, wrong moral choices. What they were saying is that a man's environment did not lead him into crime. That poverty did not lead someone into crime. That oppression did not cause someone to become a criminal. They said a person committed crime because of the wrong moral choices they made in their life. Now, in essence, what they were saying is this, that the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. It's kind of like the worm in the apple story. It was thought for a long time that the way the worm got in the apple was by burrowing its way in from the outside. But scientists discovered that really the worm was on the inside and it burrowed its way out on the outside. You see, what happened what it was an insect would lay an egg in the apple blossom. And sometime later, the worm would hatch in the heart of that apple. So the problem was not on the outside getting on the inside. It was on the inside and would go into the outside. And when I think about this problem that we have, I remind you this morning that a person is not a sinner because they sin. A person sins because they are a sinner. It is a problem we have on the inside that shows itself on the outside. It is a problem that every one of us have. Now notice in our text here what 
The Bible has to say about our sin problem. For example, look in Isaiah 118, and you see, first of all, the penalty of sin. The penalty of sin. You notice in verse 18 that Isaiah speaks of our sins. Though your sins, Isaiah refers to in verse 18. And there are many words in the Bible that are translated sin and sins. And there are different words that give different ideas of what sin is. The word that Isaiah uses here is a word that speaks of a crime or its penalty. Isaiah is telling us that sin has a penalty. Isaiah is telling us and reminding us in verse 18 that there is punishment to sin. That sin has a penalty. Romans 6.23 defines what this penalty is. For the wages of sin, the Bible said, is death. Now, when it talks about death, it involves a couple of things. One, it involves spiritual death. Two, it involves eternal death. Spiritual death is that which consists of separation from God. Eternal death consists of damnation by God. You see, man is dead spiritually. Ephesians 2 verse 1 talks about being dead. A man is spiritually dead. He is separated from God. He has no fellowship with God. He has no relationship with God. A man that has never been born again, a man that has never been saved, is separated from God. He has no relationship to God whatsoever. He is spiritually dead. But the ultimate consequence of being spiritually dead is the matter of eternal death. And that is man will eternally be separated from God. There is no hope of heaven. There is only the anticipation of hell if a man is not saved. If a man's been saved with the grace of God, he will go to heaven when he dies because he has a relationship with God through Christ. But if a man has never been saved, he's separated from God. And if he dies in that condition, he will eternally be separated from God and he'll have to spend eternity in hell. There's a penalty to sin. The wages of sin is death. One of the things that God used to bring the great evangelist Charles G. Finney to the Lord was the very thought of the judgment of sin. Finney was a young lawyer, and one morning, early one morning, he was sitting in a, little, in a village law office in the state of New York. And the Lord began to deal with his heart. Some people had been praying for Finney, and God had begun working in his heart. But that particular morning, God really began to deal with the heart of Finney, and later that afternoon, Finney was saved. But as he was sitting there early one morning, it's like the Lord said to him, Finney, what are you going to do when you finish your course? And Finney answered in himself, put out a shingle and practice law. It's like the Lord said, then what? Finney answered, get rich. Then what? Finney said, retire. It's like God said, and then what? And Finney said, die. And then like God said, and then what? And slowly and painfully, the words came out of Finney's lips, the judgment. And later that afternoon, as I said, Finney went up to a patch of woods and he was saved with the grace of God. But the thought that there is a judgment and the thought of the penalty of sin and the punishment of sin, God used to bring Finney to the Lord. You see, the penalty of sin again is that in the present life, man is separated from God and the future life, man will spend eternity in hell. That is the penalty of sin. There is our sins. But look at something else that I see about our problem in our text. You not only see the penalty of sin, but you also see the pollution of sin. Underscore the words scarlet and the words crimson there. God describes our sins as being scarlet, and He describes our sins as being crimson. Now, for the benefit of all you Alabama people, I just want to remind you, crimson is a type of sin. Can I get an amen right there? <laughs> all of you big orange fans should have been on your feet. Say amen. But he takes these two words, and they're two different words, but they have basically the same meaning. They speak of a certain type of dye, a certain type of dye that was obtained from a certain type of grub or a worm. He's talking about a type of dye here that they would use to dye clothing. Now, when I think about how he takes this, this dye and use it, it uses it in a negative sense, it reminds me that sin not only <coughs> has a penalty, <coughs> but second of all, there is a pollution to sin. For you see, sin not only damns, sin also defiles. There is the fact of sin, but there is also the force of sin. How that there is this matter that if a man is separated from God, he has a sin problem. It is a sin problem that can ruin. It is a sin problem that can defile. It is a sin problem that can stain a life. 
I think of a story that I read a number of years ago about the painting of the Lord's Supper by Leonardo da Vinci. And when he painted the Last Supper, he sought for a model for his Christ. We often look at those paintings and we think that's what Jesus looked like or whatever. In the case in Leonardo da Vinci, he would go out and find someone to sit as a model for his character and he used their faces as the faces of the characters in the painting of the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper. And, but he went out and he found a young man. He looked and looked and he found a chorister in a, one of the churches in Rome that was lovely in life and lovely in fe- features, a young man by the name of Petro Bandinelli. And he used that young man as his face for the Christ in his painting. Years went by and he painted them one by one and he only had one left and that was Judas Iscariot. He wanted to find a man whose face was hardened and distorted by sin. And so he searched and searched and searched and at last he found a beggar on the streets of Rome with a face so villainous that he shuddered when he looked at him. And he hired that man to be his model for Judas Iscariot. And when he was about to dismiss the man, he said, By the way, I forgot to ask you your name. And the young man said, you don't, The man said, You do not remember me? I am Petro Bandinelli. I set for you as your model for Christ. And then he began to tell the story of the course of sin that he had taken in his life. That story reminds me of how sin defiles a life. That story reminds me how sin will stain a life. Sin will defile, sin will ruin, sin will stain a life. It is a problem of every person, a sin problem. But let me point out a second thing. Not only do you see the problem of every person, but I also want to point out to you the provision for every person. You see, there is not only the problem of sin, but thank God there is a provision for sin. Look in Matthew 1.21. You see in Matthew 1.21, for one thing, the coming of the Savior. Again, the Bible said, And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. I read not too long ago about a lady that had three sons that were all the time trying to outdo one another in what they did for their mom. And they're always trying to give, to give a better gift than the other son did, always trying to give the most unique gift, whatever they wanted, to say to their mother, I'm your best son and whatever. So it was Christmas time one year, and these three boys were trying to outdo one another on who would give the mother the best or the most unique gift. One of the sons bought the mother a 15-room mansion. Another son bought the mother a Mercedes and even hired a chauffeur for the Mercedes. But the third son, he thought, he said, I want to get something that is unique. My brother's bought her a house. My brother's bought her a car. But I want to get something that is distinct, something that is unique. So he looked and looked and looked, and he finally came across what he thought would be the most unique gift he could give his mother, and it was a talking parrot. This parrot had been trained for 15 years, and it had been trained for 15 years to memorize the Bible. You could ask this parrot any verse in the Bible and that parrot would quote that verse and not miss a word. He thought, this is the greatest and most unique gift I could give to my mother. So he got her her that trained parrot. The mother called her first son and said, son, the house is just gorgeous, but it's really too much for me. It's too much for me to clean and too much for me to take care of. She called her second son and she said, son, the car is beautiful, but you know I don't drive. And to be right honest with you, I don't like the driver. But then she called her third son and said, Son, I just want to thank you for the most thoughtful gift. That was the best chicken I've ever ate. (laughs) I want to say to you this morning that the best gift, the most thoughtful gift that has ever been given to us and a gift that proves the love of God is that one day God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You read about the coming of the Savior, and she shall bring forth a son. That was God's gift to us. God, he looked down, and he saw a world with a sin problem. But God, in wanting to deal with that sin problem, provided a Savior that might save them from their sins. I read the story just this past week how during the dark winter of 1864 in Petersburg, Virginia, General Robert E. Lee faced the Union divisions of General Grant. And late one evening, one of Lee's generals, Major General uh, George Pickett, received word that his wife had just given birth to a baby boy. Up and down the southern lines, they built huge bonfires to celebrate the birth of General Pickett's baby. 
Grant sent out a reconnaissance patrol to see what was going on. He wasn't sure what all the fires was about. And so the scout returned with the message that Pickett had had a son. And there were celebratory fires. Well, it so happened that Grant and Pickett had gone to West Point together and they knew each other very well even though they were fighting on two different sides. So to honor the occasion, Grant, he also ordered that bonfires be built to celebrate the birth of Pickett's son. And for miles and miles on both sides of the lines, the north and the south, no shots were fired that night. No war was fought simply in celebration of the birth of a baby. I think about the real meaning of Christmas today, and the real meaning of Christmas is that we celebrate the birth of the Christ child. Christmas is a celebration of the coming of the Savior. On that first Christmas night, the message and the announcement was given in Luke 2, verse 11, For unto you is born then this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. There is the coming of the Savior. But involved in this provision not only is the coming of the Savior, but second of all, the cleansing from our sin. Look at Matthew 1, 21 again. His people from their sins. Are you listening to me? Everybody has a problem. Every man, every woman, every boy and girl, we all have a problem. It is a sin problem. But thanks be to God, God has provided that which takes care of the sin problem. He has given us a Savior to deal with our sins. If we had needed information, He would have sent us an educator. If our need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. If our need had been pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. But our need was forgiveness, so God sent us a Savior. Isaiah said, Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. And though your sins be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Now listen to me. If you really want to have a white Christmas, if you really want to have a white Christmas with snow or not, then I say to you this morning, let the Lord Jesus Christ save you and He will wash you of all your sins and make you as white as snow. All oh, the joy of being able this morning to say, my sins are gone. That one day Jesus Christ, God's provision for my sin problem, came into my heart and He washed me as white as snow. Many years ago at a parliament of religions in Chicago, practically every known religion was represented. And during one session there was a man by the name of Dr. Joseph Cook of Boston. And he suddenly rose and he said, Gentlemen, I beg to introduce to you a woman with a great sorrow. Blood stains are on her hands. And nothing she has tried will remove them. The blood is that of murder. She has been driven to desperation in her distress. Is there anything in your religion that will remove her sin and give her peace? A hush fell on the gathering. Not one of the company replied or could reply. And then raising his eyes heavenward, Dr. Crook then cried out, John, can you tell us how this woman can get rid of her sins? And the great preacher waited as if he was waiting for reply. And then he cried out, Listen, John speaks. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanseth from all sin. Are you listening to me this morning? Your sins may be as scarlet, but they can be as white as snow. Your sins may be red like crimson, but they can be as wool. Whoever you are, whatever you have done, Jesus Christ can forgive you of your sins and make you clean before a holy God and deal with your sin problem. I love that little old song, You Ask Me While I'm Happy. Then I'll just tell you why. It's because my sins are gone. We have a problem. It is a sin problem. But there is a provision for every person. God gave His Son. But let me give you a third and a final thing. Let me point this out in our text today. You not only see the problem of every person and the provision for every person, but notice in Isaiah 118 the, the plea to every person. You notice in Isaiah 118 that God, He offers, there's an offer that God extends to man. And you see in this offer God's plea to every person. Look at that plea. You notice, first of all, the words come now. You see the desire of God. The desire of God. God says in Isaiah 118, come now. Now listen to me. 
The desire of God this morning is that everyone come to Him. The desire of God is that you would come to Him and let Him forgive you of your sins. If I may put it this way, the desire of God is that every person in this room today have a white Christmas. The desire of God is that you come to Him, let Him save you, and let the blood of Jesus Christ wash you from your sins. The songwriter expressed this desire of God in the song, Come, you sinners, poor and needy. Weak and wounded, sick and sore, Jesus ready stands to save you, full of mercy, love and power. He says, come. I read a story that blessed my heart, but it also was a humorous story in some ways. A fellow by the, a fellow by the name of Mr. Klein, K-L-I-N-E. He was a discouraged man, a defeated man. He was convinced that life wasn't worth living and that nobody cared for him. And one Sunday night, he was walking past a church as the services were in progress. And he heard the congregation singing a strain of that familiar hymn, Say, but grace alone, this is all my plea. Jesus died for all mankind, and Jesus died for me. The fellow didn't have very good hearing. And so when the congregation came, those words, Jesus died for all, for all mankind, he thought they were singing, Jesus died for all mankind. And he said to himself, why, that's me. And he turned and walked in and sat down in the service. And when the invitation was given, he walked down the aisle. And that night he got saved with the grace of God. Look up here and listen to me. Jesus died for all mankind. And Jesus died for all mankind. And it matters not who you are. And it matters not what you've done. God says, come. I want to forgive you of your sins. I want to save you and make you my child. It's the desire of God. But look at something else in Isaiah 118 you find in this plea. There's not only the desire of God, but there is the decision of man. But you see, there's something God asks from us. God says, I want you to come. I want to save you. And God says, I want to wash you as white as snow. But there's something God asks man to do. He says, come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. See that word reason there? It's a judicial term. It means to make a decision about a case to either acquit or convict. And what God is doing is saying, it's not, He's not saying let us come and discuss the matter. God is saying, come now, make a decision about what I'm offering you. God is saying to you this morning, He's saying to all of us, He said, I will cleanse you from your sins. Your sins are as scarlet. Your sins are as red as crimson. But God is saying, come to me and I will cleanse you of your sins. I'll make your sins as white. I'll wash them and make them as white as snow. God is saying, come. Now, what is your decision? I ask you this morning, have you made that decision? God has said, has said to all of us, come. Have you made that decision? I'm glad that on a Sunday morning back in 1972 that one day God said, come, and I'm glad that I went. And he's saying to us this morning, will you make the decision? Will you come? I read an interesting uh, editorial in the Chattanooga Times, Chattanooga Free Press one day this week. It's in fact on Thursday. And there was an editorial in there by Maureen Dodd. And it was entitled, Onward Christian Candidates. And the editorial was about the remarks that George W. Bush made the other night in the Republican presidential debate. Some of you may have seen it. But during the debate, the candidates were asked to name the person that had had the greatest political figure, philosopher, that had had the greatest influence on their life. And every one of them named that person. When they got to George W. Bush, he said, Jesus Christ. And when asked to elaborate, he said, when you turn your heart and life over to Christ and when you accept Christ as your Savior, it changes your heart, it changes your life, and that's what happened to me. I want you to listen to what Ms. Dowd had to say in response to his remarks in that debate. And I quote translation. In other words, she was saying, let me translate what Mr. Bush said. Quote, translation, you're either in the Christ club or out of it, on the JC team or off, and then she said, this is the same exclusionary attitude so offensive to those with different beliefs that he showed in 1993 when he said that you must believe Jesus Christ to enter into heaven, end quote. Now, I don't know about the reality of George W. Bush's faith. 
I don't know the quality of it. I don't know anything about the sincerity of it. But I'll say one thing to Mrs. Dowd and to you. George W. Bush was exactly right. There are not. It is not. Listen. Now, Miss Dow may be offended and there are others may be offended, but there are not many ways to get to heaven. There is only one way to get to heaven. And there is only one way to have your sins washed through the blood of Jesus. That's the only way. If you want your sins to be clean, if you really want to have a white Christmas, Jesus Christ is the only one that can cleanse you of your sins. I love the story of Lady Anne Erskine. Stumbling through, there's a cemetery in London just across the street from Wesley's Chapel and Wesley's house, Bun Hill Fields. And I've been in it, I guess, six or seven times. And I go to London, I always go there. It is like who's who of Christianity. And uh, back in those days, if you were not a Church of England, whatever, you could not be buried in what they called consecrated ground. So all the believers, many of them, were buried in what they called unconsecrated ground. Bun Hill Fields, John Bunyan is buried there, Daniel Defoe is buried there, uh, John uh, Rippon is buried there, Isaac Watts is buried there, uh, on and on, Susanna Wesley is buried there, on and on and on you go. You walk through it, and it's like who's who in religious history. And one time I was over there and I was just wandering around and I found a little section off to the side that I had never been in before. And I was walking through there and I ran across a huge tomb there and on the side was the name of Lady Anne Erskine. And I got so excited about it. I went back. Sherry was with me at the time. went back to the motel and told her about what I had found. I was so excited because of the story of Lady Anne Erskine. She was a very wealthy lady, very popular lady. She lived in the time of a great preacher by the name of Roland Hill. And Roland Hill one Sunday was preaching when Lady Ann Erskine walked into the church. And because of who she was, the crowd turned its attention to her. And Hill saw that everyone's eyes were on her, so he did something very unusual that day. He shouted out loudly, Brethren, may I have your attention for a moment? He said, I'm going to have an auction. He said, I intend to sell that young lady that just walked in to the highest bidder, and he pointed at Lady Ann Erskine. He said, I know of three who want to buy her, the world, the devil, and the flesh. He said, world, what will you pay for her? Pop cocked his head as if he were listening. Riches, honor, pleasure, not enough. She's worth more. Devil, what will you bid? All the possessions and riches of this earth? No, that's not enough. Riches disappear like the night when the morning sun comes. Not enough. And then he said, I hear the voice of the third buyer, Jesus Christ. What do you bid, Lord Jesus? He said, I give her my grace here and eternal glory hereafter and an un imperishable, unstained, unchangeable inheritance. And he'll shout out, Lord, you can have her. I leave her to you. You're the rightful owner. May heaven and earth witness this deal. And then he'll looked at Lady Anne Erskine, surprised and embarrassed. And he said, what do you think of this bargain? Remember, you are the eternal property of Jesus Christ. He died for you. Can you, will you, dare you refuse to surrender to him? And to her credit, that day, standing in the aisle, Lady Anne Erskine was signed and saved and lived the rest of her life worthy of the master. I'm going to ask you today, will you do the same thing? Will you do the same thing if you have never come to Christ? God says, come now. Let us reason together. God says, he says to you, sir, and he says to you, ma'am, he says to you, young people, he says to everyone in this room now, you've got a problem. It is a sin problem. You can't take care of it yourself. You can't handle it yourself. I am, I'm the only one that can take care of the problem. I'm the only one that can save you. You can live good, but that won't take care of the problem. You can go to church, but that won't take care of the problem. You can be religious, but that won't take care of the problem. I'm the only one that can take care of the problem. And God says, now, will you come? Will you decide right now to come to me? That's what God is saying in this building today. God is telling you this morning, if you really want to have a white Christmas, saying, sir, won't you come today and let me save you? Let me forgive you of your sins. He's saying, if you really want to have a white Christmas, let me wash you as white as snow. I am glad. Listen, Christmas is always special. It's been special in my life. I remember as a kid, many of you did the same thing. 
we'd get the Sears Roebuck catalog. You remember that? And I'd go through there and we picked everything out. My family grew up on Sears and Roebuck catalog. I got all my school clothes from Sears and Roebuck and everything come from there. And I'd go through that, that, that catalog and I'd mark out things that I want for Christmas. Some of them I would get, some of them I wouldn't get. Even as a kid, Christmas was special. But on April the 2nd, 1972, and in December of 1972, Christmas was altogether different. You don't know why? Because for the first time in my life, I really had a white Christmas. My guilt had been washed through the blood of Jesus. That heavy load of sin that I'd carried for so long was gone. And now I knew what it was to really have a white Christmas. Will you come to him? Let's stand our feet, please. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Now here's what God is saying to you this morning through his word. You have a problem. It's a sin problem. It's universal. Nobody's excluded. I have given my son. Jesus came to this earth. It's what we're celebrating this time of the year. He came to this earth that you might be saved. And God's plea to you is come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. God is saying, come. And there are those, many of you in this room today, you have already come. Some of you came to him in your homes. Many of you came to him right here in this altar. Some of you responded to his plea in other places similar to this. But many, if not the majority, in this room have already come. One day God said to you, and he knocked on your heart. He said, come now. Will you make it? I want to, this is what I want to do for you. I want to forgive you for sins. I want to make you as white as snow. Now, will you make the decision? Will you come? Will you come to me? And God this morning is saying the same thing to you. <clears throat> for some of you that are here today that have never come, many, many, many times God's knocked on your heart <clears throat> and said, Sir, come to me. He's knocked on your heart, ma'am, many, many times and said, come to me. He's knocked on your heart standing right here in this auditorium during, this, during an invitation many, many times at this very moment, similar moments to this, God knocked on your heart and said, come. Many times God knocked on your heart when somebody came to your home and told you about Christ and told you how to be saved. God was saying, come. You see, God wants to save you and God wants to forgive you of your sin and God wants to wash you as white as snow. He's wanting you to come. And once again this morning, God is saying to you, come. For you in the balcony that have never come, God is saying, come. To you across this building that have never come, God is saying, come. He's saying, come now. Let us reason together, saith the Lord. Will you come to him today? I wonder while our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, how many of you have come? that one day God said, come, and you did go to him, and you responded to him, and he washed you as white as snow. Would you lift your hands high all across the building as a public testimony of that wonderful day when God saved you by his grace? Isn't that wonderful? Thank you. you. may put your hands down. What a joy it is to be able to lift my hand and say, my sins have been forgiven. God, through Jesus Christ, has dealt with my sin problem. I'm going to go to heaven one of these days. And I'm not going to go to heaven because I've tried to live for God. I'm not going to go to heaven because I'm a pastor. I'm not going to go to heaven because I'm a preacher. I'm going to go to heaven because one day I came to God and he washed my sins away through Jesus Christ. And I want you to come this morning. Our Father, this morning in Jesus' name, I thank you for these many hands that went up, hands that publicly testified that one day you said come and they made the decision to come. They, they accepted your offer, and they came. Lord, there may be some in the room today, and there are some. Some, Lord, that many have prayed for, some that I have prayed for. They're in this room today that have never come. But, Lord, today you're asking them to come. You're saying to them, I want to save you. I want to give you eternal life. I want to wash your sins away may they come today man woman boy or girl may they come
If there is one in the room today that's just not sure about it, they think maybe they've come, they think maybe they're saved, but yet inside they struggle with the certainty of the matter. Lord, your word has the answer for us. And so I pray today you let them come and let our folks here that have their Bibles show them from the word of God how they can know for sure that their sins have been washed away. Lord, today I pray that many, that this coming Saturday they'll celebrate their first really white Christmas. A white Christmas because they come this morning and they come and they're forgiven of their sins and their sins are washed away and they are made as white as snow. Let them come. Do today what we ask you to do and we plead with you and what your heart longs for, for people to respond to you. Lord, we know you'll not save anybody against their will, but you ask them to come. Your offer is for anyone. And so, Lord, may they come today to you. In Jesus' name, amen.